Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We Must Talk podcast. And today I have joining me Miss Noelle Palmer out of Minnesota. And I'm just so honored to be able to have Noelle spend some time talking to us a little bit about her story. What caught my attention about Noelle is she did a post recently and it really struck a chord with a lot of folks. You know, we're talking about in about a week's time, she had around 85,000 likes or reactions on Facebook, 18,000 plus comments, and 114,000 shares, which means she must have struck a chord. So welcome to our show today, Noel. How do you feel about what's happened to you so far with this post you did? Well, you know, it's it's really overwhelming. It's it's uh, surreal in a way. Um, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of trying to figure out what happened here. You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, okay, so this is you know, we got so much thing, so many things going on in the world right now. We have a pandemic, and then all of a sudden, the event happens with George Floyd. And everybody was so horrified by watching it on television. So did, what did that have to do with your post? Maybe kind of help folks understand what happened uh, surrounding those events and what, what did it make you want to do? Well, just to give you a little context here, um, I am born and raised in Minneapolis. This is my community. Um, I just a few months ago... Uh, moved out of my home, which was literally one block away from Lake Street, uh, in that Lake Street, Chicago area where everything was happening. Um, so for me, it, it hit to my very core. I mean, this was my community. Uh, been to the gas station across the street, been to the Cup Foods, walked down that street. This is my community. And it was so horrifying um, to see it happen, which really, it, it's not anything new. I mean, we just went through this a few years ago with Orlando. So I, I think what was different about this was that there was absolutely, positively, no question um, about anything that led up to the event. They had videos as to what led up to the events, what happened during the events. Um, and I feel like maybe that's why it was different because people could really join together and say, we know exactly what happened and you, you know, you can't deny it, which is so often a response to these horrible murders where people feel like they can deny it and um, say, well, yeah, but, that's my thing, yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, so it just rocked our city, um, uh, the Twin Cities. Um, so St. Paul is our neighboring city, and so people were getting confused. There was the Midtown area, which was in South Minneapolis, where a lot of the, you know, where, where the murder occurred and where a lot of the protests were occurring, um, and then... Then there was Midway in St. Paul, where it was happening as well. Um, and then, as you know from the news, um, uh, there was a lot 
of other things that started happening during the protest and I don't really want to lose sight of what we're talking about here but right. um, you know it, it was almost like an entire community was going through this trauma together and I think I hit my breaking point for those who still could not see it for what it happened and could not accept it and could not, you know, and had judgments about it. Like, you know, well, he, he had a criminal past. I mean, what's, or people talking about what was happening in the community and making judgments about people in the community. I mean, there was so much being said that was just so disturbing and unsettling to me. And it, it for me, felt like I had to speak to my white community. I had to, I had to say something because there's still a lot of, you know, I was still hearing a lot of denial about it or the yeah buts about it. Um, and I had my own personal experience with uh, being an adoptive parent of a black child and having witnessed this same racism with my son. Wow. And, and you know, real quick, just to, just to cut in real quick, Noel, on your post, you said something that struck me. It was in your first sentence. You know, so you being uh, your nationality, what, first of all, what's your nationality? Let's just go with white. I white. Mean. Okay. So you're a white <laughs> woman in Minnesota, the USA, and your first sentence in your post says, I have been hesitant to talk about my son through all of this. Yes. Yeah. Lead, lead into that, because I could feel where you were going, but I wanted to get that sentence out. Yes, I was hesitant because you commonly hear people say things like, well, my best friend is black, or my spouse or partner is black, or my child is black, um, that somehow that means I know what it's like to be black. Um, and so that was not, I did not, that was not at all what I wanted to convey because that is not what I think. Um, and then also it, it felt like, you know, his story is sacred and I didn't, I wanted to be very respectful with his, with his story and not use his story, his blackness for my point. It, I wanted to keep the focus on my experience as a white person who has been shaped and molded by the privilege of living in white skin and I'm very aware of that and it was because I was the adoptive mother of a black son that it was in my life that I could see it in a way that really only a parent can see it right from a from a mother's love so you know, in order for someone to adopt someone, that comes from such a, a spirit of love. So I know there had to be an incredible amount of unconditional love you've experienced with your son. And so for you to have that hesitation and, you know, being a white woman, I can see that. But at the same time, I can also see that unconditional love beginning to, you know, just overtake that hesitation. Would you say that be about accurate? Well, I think I just really had to be in a place where <clears throat> I was very clear about my own motives. Mm -hmm. 
And I was very clear about, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk about the difference between intent and impact. And I wanted to be very clear about not only what was my intent, um, but also what would be the impact. And so I really was, I really deliberated on this for a while. I mean, it was uh, a week or two. Um, I've, I've lost time. It was two weeks. Um, well, actually, a little bit more than two weeks after the murder of George Floyd. And those whole two weeks, there was something inside of me that said, you are going to do something. You are going to do something. You are going to do something. And, uh, you know, it clicked. And I said, all right, I'm going to do this. And then we have this post. Man, and you know what's so amazing about it, how you and I came in contact. See, we never know, you know, us speaking up and speaking out what's going to happen from that. So we end up connecting because I, your, your post came up in my feed. I guess one of my Facebook friends was, you know, had shared that post. I clicked on it, and it just caught me. It was a beautiful picture of you and your son there. And I just started really following the story. And then I think a few days later, after you were getting a lot of attention, I started seeing someone. It looked like they were trolling you. And <laughs> I, I know what a troll is now. <laughs> I don't, and I'm like, well, this, this is not fair because, you know, you were getting criticized. But I think a lot of times when white folks do speak up and speak out, you know, we got to be careful, you know, from the black and people of color community to allow space for a white person that wants to speak up and speak out to let them do so. So I literally was just so, so moved by your post and then to see someone trolling you. So I send you a little message and he go, hey, you know, Noel, you might want to block that person, you know. And then you responded back to me. I'm like, oh, this is cool. But then check this out. After you and I kind of collaborate a little bit about this person that's trolling you, you decide to go, yeah, I think it's best for me to kind of block them and, and stay focused on the positive. You said something to me. You sent me a message. You said, give it to me straight. Is it unusual to hear a white person say, I know I have privilege or to acknowledge recognizing systemic racism. I'm not asking sarcastically. I truly would like to know. What made you ask me that question? Because I was so blown away by the responses of the black and brown community saying, thank you, you get it, finally, finally. This, this is what we deal with. Like, you see it. Finally, and you know, I'm a social worker, and I don't know if you know anything about social workers, but we sit around and we talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, these are just really natural conversations for us. So I really didn't think I was saying anything that unusual. Um, but from the responses on the post, I, <laughs> I was like, I'm just blown away by this and that's why I, I felt like I could ask you I mean is it really that unusual and you know you yeah. said yes it is it and is that, I, I responded to you I said it is unusual to hear that's why it strikes the right chord it needs to be said in an understanding way just the way you said it 
I hope that you, I hope that really touched you because I wanted you to feel that and encourage you as well. Well, I did feel it. And I, it's one of those bittersweet things. Like what a travesty it is that it's unusual for the black and brown community to hear that. That's, that's just a travesty to me. Um, but you know, the other side of that is that I, I just feel very honored that um, it came out the way it did. You know, I got to tell you, I, I wrote that post in like 30 minutes. Um, mm. I was just getting ready for work, and there were some posts that were really upsetting to me that I was reading on Facebook, and it that's, like I said, it just clicked. I banged that out in 30 minutes, and I posted it. You know, and and so um, it feels very honoring to me. I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, that it came it's out a in word. a way. It came out in a way that it it connected. Mm. Now, how how do you feel that like since you posted and it's got so much notoriety, so much attention. Has people treated you any different? Have you noticed a difference in how people are looking at you, treating you? What have you experienced so far the past week? Well, you know, we're still kind of laying low here in Minnesota with the COVID. So um, <laughs> I'm still working remote access, and I am not going out into the community that much. Um, but in terms of... <clears throat> you know, conversations that I'm having with people um, either through telephone or some, you know, messaging. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like nobody's really treating me any differently, but I do feel like there have been some folks who've reached out and maybe feel a little bit more comfortable talking to me wow. about their experiences you know I was talking with a, a a friend of mine the other day and um, she was saying you you get so tired of having to be that person that's always really diplomatic in how you speak to somebody even when they're saying very hurtful things um, that you have to you have to be the one to give them that grace and and, you know, give them the excuse, well, they don't know. Um, and I have to be very diplomatic in the way that I try to communicate that. And, and that's not reciprocated. And you just get, you know, you get very tired of that. And that's, you know, another message that I've been hearing um, from a lot of people in the black and brown community, like, please, do not ask us to explain this to you anymore. We are tired. Mm. We have been trying to explain this, and it's not being heard. And I think that was also a part of my motivation that, you know, you're right. You you have been trying to explain this. And, I, and I'm talking more like on a collective level. I'm not right, talking right. about one specific person here. But you have been talking. You have been explaining. You have used the most diplomatic, respectful, uh, you know, non-offensive ways to explain this, and folks are still not getting it, and they're still saying, <laughs> well, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. what about this? 
And Jeez. so that was the part where it was like, all right, so the, you know, as a white person, I need to own that and I need to, um, take some accountability in that, that we haven't been doing a good job explaining it. And you know, I think it, I'm so sorry. No, you go ahead. Right okay. You know, what I love most about this conversation is, and the platform I created, We Must Talk. And, again, you can tell how wrong this is because we got the beautiful dog in the background. I am so sorry. I wasn't oh. really prepared to record today, <laughs> and I didn't put my dog away. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why this is so awesome because this is real. You can tell this is a real person working at home. That's one of the things about it's so funny because I was, I was calling uh, uh, one of the services the other day that I used, and their message said, you know, Please, you know, with our customer service, you might hear some dogs or some uh, children or pets playing in the background. So I think it's a unique time we're in. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to say to you is that I think most of this that, that we feel, you know, especially from the white community and figuring out how to deal with this. And I know because I've grown up on both sides. You know, I'm a multiracial person. My dad's black. Mom's half white, half Indian. My grandfather's white. So... I've grown up on both sides of it. I think it's just the fear of what will happen if we do really bring about equality. Is somebody going to try to take something more than what they should? I mean, have you kind of looked at that view? Do you notice that there's a fear there that really shouldn't be a fear there at all? What's your thoughts on that? You know, I I have talked about that with folks, and I mean, I, I don't understand that. What, what would people be afraid of losing? I mean, I just, it's not like in the day when people were afraid of losing their land or losing their profits or losing their workforce when we, when we had slavery and then following slavery. We had, I mean, it, it, I, I'm not understanding what people are afraid of losing. I, I'm almost wondering if, See now, had you given me questions before and I could have prepared on how to oh, answer Oh, no, no, no. Be real because there's something into... <laughs> in your heart right there. Go ahead. Go ahead and say what's on your heart. Just be raw. Well, I mean, it's, it's almost like we will have to swallow a really jagged pill. Wow. Um, pride. 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 I've been wrong. I didn't know. Uh, my opinion that I felt so strongly about is not only is it not correct, but it's part of the problem. Um, you know that feeling when you mm. when you do something or say something that hurts somebody's feelings, and you find out later that it hurts their feelings, and you get that sick right. feeling in right. your stomach. Right. Right. It's like that multiplied or so. I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't thought this through, but there's 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 something. The whole yeah, but it's like a, a two-year-old um, when you say, hey, you know, I told you not to bring Kool-Aid into the living room and you dropped it and you stained the carpet, and they're like, yeah, but um, I had to come into the living room. <laughs> well, okay, you know, it's just, that's analogy. what it kind of feels like. Wow, what a good But I'm not the expert. We got to, you know, you we got to stipulate this. 
this, yeah, and we got to give and we got to give ourselves some room. We got to allow people to make mistakes, you know, like both sides, all the sides, people of color, uh, white Caucasian, you know, each each side has to give each other room. We have to have the goal of coming together, don't you feel? Well, I do feel, but it makes me uncomfortable that, you know, this is not something that I got a master's in, or this is not something that, like, I can't tell you, um, you know, any paradigm shift in thought or, you know, ideology, like, all that. I am just a, a social worker, you know. Um, but that's what's so my... beautiful about this, you know, <laughs> is that you're a so- listen to that word. So my sister, by the way, she happens to be a social worker in Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. So I understand, you know, how what that come, what all comes with that. You deal with so many situations, but I think that makes you perfect because you have been seeing a lot of this stuff going on forever, probably, right? Yeah. For sure. Let's talk about your son for a second. You know, this beautiful picture that you posted. Um, let's talk about him. How, how has he responded to all this attention that mom's got? You know, I'm just going to tell you one story, and that's all we're going to talk about. Because, again, this is, this, I really want to protect him because he didn't ask for that. You know, he didn't ask for this. Um but I was, was talking to him about how I had posted this story, um, and it was before it really exploded. And I said, I just want to let you know that I, I told that story, or those stories, um, because I wanted to talk about, you know, how wrong it is. And, and I said, do you remember the time when, when you were raking the leaves? And he, he was like, yep. And I said, do you remember the time when we got pulled over? And he's like, yep. And I said, and that was so wrong? And he goes, yep, because I'm black. So he knew. I didn't know that he knew. Um, But he knew. And so it, 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 and I had a conversation just this morning in a, in a different recorded situation. And, um, I was asked, you know, did you have the talk with him at that time? Did you did you talk to him about what just happened? And, you know, just for some clarification, he's a he's a grown adult now, so this wasn't something that just happened. This was, uh, you know, a dozen years ago. And um, I was saying, you know, I'm really embarrassed to admit that I I didn't have the talk with him at that time, wow. um, because where my head was at was. Boy, this is so hurtful. This is so ugly. This is so just like I I wanted to like shield him from that hurt, and I didn't know if he understood what was going on, and I was praying he didn't understand what was going on because I didn't want him to hurt. Um, but you know, then it sunk in, and I was like. Well, no, I, I need to talk to him about these things. And I did it in bits and pieces. I, I was stabbing at it. I didn't know how to have the talk. Um, I didn't even know what the talk was. Um, so in bits and pieces throughout the way in his childhood, we talked about it. And then certainly more, um, you know, that I have a better understanding of it. We, we, we have had the talks. Um or the talk, but, uh, you know, I think that even that 
is a an example of how uh, I've always been very aware of racism. It's been a very uh, intellectual understanding of what it is and a very emotional um, reaction to how much I hated it. Um, but I was myself really protected in my own privilege that I didn't have the depth to understand that this was this was not something that was intellectual or emotional. This was something that was the core. I didn't, you know, as a parent, I was, I got to protect my son, right? Mm -hmm. That's my job. I got to take care of him. I got to protect him. Um, but, you know, in white privilege, we're not, when we think about preparing our child for the future, we're thinking about getting them through school, getting the diploma, preparing them to be, financially stable to be able to manage a home. We're not thinking preparation in terms of being black in America. This is, this is, this is so striking and people need to hear this. That's why I'm so proud of what we're doing here. You know, we must talk platform. See, this is conversation that we must talk about when you look at your son and then you're looking back and you're going, okay, how did that affect him? My question for you is this. Before you adopted him, what did you think you would experience some of the things that you ended up experiencing? Like, did you do any type of mind preparation for that? What was your thought process <laughs> when I'm taking a, I'm going to adopt a child of color, a black child? What, what were you thinking? Well, when I went into uh, the adoption, uh, my focus wasn't I'm going to adopt a black child. My focus was I'm going to adopt an older child from the system um, because child welfare has a lot of kids that, that uh, need to be adopted, right? And so for me, I went into it with love conquers all. I am going to love this child and we are going to be able to overcome everything because of love. I mean, honestly, that's where my heart was. And when you would go through the training uh, to prepare you, they would give you um, just a huge, quick overview of all of the potential things that can be a part of your um, child's life, whether it was that they were exposed to substances when, when their birth mother was pregnant, whether it's attachment issues. When we got to the cultural piece, and again, this is, I got to do the math here now. This is over 15 years ago. Um, the, when we got to the cultural piece, it was really, again, kind of that surfacey stuff. Um, make sure that you're inclusive of his race, submerge him in his culture, expose him to people of color, learn what you need to learn about things like hair care, skin care. It was all of that stuff, which is very important don't get me wrong I'm not saying that that's not a part of the process right. um, but it doesn't touch what we're talking about here right. that you as a white person have a very different experience as as what it means to to have you know be a parent um, and when you have a child who is black in America you cannot parent in, you know, through this white privilege lens.
um, because you're not preparing them for being black. You know, I always kind of used my white privilege to do what I needed to do for him. I had a situation where um, the school that he'd been attending uh, through elementary school, um, when, when I asked for his immunization information, they found out they did not have that information and that he had no, he had no immunization. And, you know, you, that can't happen in a public school. Right. So I went up to the school and was like, what's going on here? I, I need this information. And in an instant I had the principal, the vice principal, the school counselor, they were all in that office and they were all like scrambling to try to uh, get me what I needed or answer my questions. And that's the thing about white privilege that we don't know. We don't know we have. When, when we walk into a room, we expect to be listened to. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think of the time when I, uh, that I talked about in the post when I asked to get out of the car. Um, I expected that they were going to listen to what I had to say. Right. And I did not fear in any way, shape, or form. I did not fear for my life that I was going to call them out on their racism. I did not fear that there would be retaliation. So I think that I think that's an important part as a parent. You know, for me, it was like I expected if I needed information about the immunizations that they were going to get me the information I needed. And yeah, that's just like you know, just so obvious that it's part of the thing you're saying when you talk about white privilege there's some that are really there's some white uh, some of my white brothers and sisters that you know that are so close to me they don't have that challenge because of the the the, we took conscious competent effort in overcoming that but they're talking about some of the people in their circle are having a real challenge with the words white privilege. Maybe you can do something to kind of help the, our white listeners when it comes to the word white privilege, to maybe take diffuse it somewhere so it's not so inflammatory to them. What would you say about that? You know, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. Like we have to admit something there. Um, and that's painful. That's excruciating to think that, wow, I maybe didn't know, right? So when we use words like white privilege, I remember the first time somebody used the term white supremacy in the context of a conversation and my gut just shot to the bottom and I wanted to shout back, I'm not in the KKK, you know, like there's, there's, <laughs> right. there's feelings that go with that and that mm-hmm. instinct um, is it's, it's a painful response. And, and so I think when, when, people hear the term white privilege their instinct is to go back well you know what I'm going to tell you what I thought the first time I heard the term white privilege my thought was wait a minute I didn't have any money growing up I paid my own way through college I was a waitress and worked the night shift and then went and worked in the mornings in a motel I work my ass off, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my instinct, like, uh-uh, nobody handed me nothing on a silver platter. 
And I, I think sometimes that's where people's minds go when the word privilege is used um, because, you know, plenty of white folk have worked really hard too. But, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about white privilege. We're talking about the fact that we are um, spared from the injustices and the racism that people with black and brown skin face. It's that, you know, the cliche example of when I walk into a store, nobody's following me around. True. You know? That's just what you're saying is just facts. And it brings me to something. I was on a um, an incredible panel just a few days ago. It was like, let's talk about racism panel. It was all different nationalities that were panelists. And one of the ladies, which happened to be of Latino descent, uh, and she had a, her children are, you know, half Latino, half African-American, half black. She says as her children began to grow, she started to have to make adjustments for their safety. So that hit me because I had a conversation with some of my white brothers and sisters that were at my home. And I have a five-year-old son. And when we, they were asking, what can we do and trying to understand this, I said, let me just make this clear to you. As he gets older, for example, when he gets his driver's license, in the state with the way, of the way that the USA is now, I'm going to have to have very, very specific targeted conversations to him to keep him safe should he get pulled over. Mm-hmm. And that hit him. They said, we would never even think about it we'd have to have that talk with our children. How does that sit with you? Did you have to go through some of that as your child began to grow? (laughs) No. Adjustments for safety? (laughs) Well, my parents were concerned about my safety for me driving, but... (laughs) All right, now what about your child that is your adopted child? Did you have to make adjustments for his safety in the way you talk to him? I did. I did. Wow. Um, Because as he grew older and began to look more like a man, um, he was responded to differently. When he was younger, he was responded to like, you know, just the comparison of not a threat. Um, But as he got older and became more masculine and became more of a man, that became more threatening to folks. And, you know, um, I, I did not, I, you know what, I did not do it perfectly. Again, I do not want to sound like <clears throat> I'm a know-it-all on how to do this. Most of most of what I know now, um, I learned through my mistakes wow. in life, what I didn't do right. Did you ever have to have a conversation with him in regards to uh, safety about, like, when he was driving and if he gets pulled over? Did you ever have a conversation if he happened to get pulled over? I've had conversations with him specifically about when he encounters the police and not even just the police. Um, I mean, there are officials that work on the light rail. I I don't know what they're called, the light rail police or transportation police. Or um, I've had to have conversations with him um, about how he responds when it is a person who has uh, the potential 
of, of hurting him. Um, and that, you know, that goes into even just more than law enforcement and, and uh, transportation police. I don't even know what they're calling. Uh, should we let our, our audience know that I'm coming <laughs> off of a, a 10-hour work day here, literally? This is, this, is a, this, is a mother, this is someone that is part of the mainstay of America that works just like everyone else that just happened to speak out. And got all of this attention, and that brings me to as we're wrapping this up. Let me ask. You, let me ask you this: How do you feel that your story, your post? How do you feel as far as it making a difference? Do you think it's made a difference? I mean, I know you are. You getting a lot of feedback, you know, personally. What do you? What? How do you feel? I do. I do think it is making a difference. Um, I I tried really hard to stay on top of the. The responses, but after a couple of days, I kind of gave up. Um, but when I have time, I do scroll through the responses, and I'm seeing um, the majority of those who are choosing to respond, um, who are white, are saying, "Wow, thank you. I'm I'm listening, or I'm seeing something new, or scales ripped off." Um, so I do believe that it is making a difference, um, in understanding, um, white privilege and understanding what our communities, um, our black and our brown communities are dealing with. And, and I think that people are reading each other's posts because I'm seeing people or responses. I'm seeing people uh, emoji each other or comment on each other and there's a real common theme from our black and brown mothers and grandmothers who are saying now you know what I feel like every single day that my child leaves my home and then you have a white person who's emojing on that like wow um, so I do think it's making a difference Wow. I want everyone to understand. She has 114,000 shares. I mean, that means that people are getting touched, Noel, like you would not believe. And really what I like to tell, you know, all of our listeners, you know, in a spirit of unity, I did a post this morning on my Facebook page, and I put, just because the world is finally having a real talk about black and people of color, inequality issues, doesn't mean that we're not all in this together. See, we're all in this together. This is just conversations that have been suppressed that has, that has to happen. I went ahead and I wrote, never forget that point. These conversations, this is what's unique, Noel. These conversations are going to lead for better equality issues all around, for women's rights, you know, sex trafficking, senior citizens, the, the our incredible environment, you know, all these things that we're having issues with, believe it or not, this is going to end up having an impact. And I just, I really want to thank you. I want to continue to encourage you. I want to continue to grow with you. Uh, you and I had this funny talk about about uh, us being kind of pushed into being activists. You know, I'm going through a, a challenge now dealing with discrimination against myself. And I said, this is going to force me probably to be an activist. I asked my family months ago, I said, 
am I being forced to be an activist? And all of a sudden, Noel, you responded. How was your response to me? Um, I don't remember. I just remember resonating and going, yeah, I, me too, I think, you know. Cause <laughs> me too. I've never really figured I was an activist before. I've always had a big mouth. I've always <laughs> said what I thought. That, that's for sure. Um, not always gracefully, that's for sure. But I, I've never really considered myself an activist. Like, I'm not even sure, really, I know what that means. Um, but but what I do feel where I did resonate is, okay, I opened my mouth, and now there's no going back. Right. Mm. There's no going back. And that's what this whole platform is about. I want to thank you, Noel, for taking the incredible time with us today. We know, again, you've got a 10-hour workday, but you, your, your heart is so beautiful, so wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing this time with us here today. And, and, and I want you to know we've got your back. We're going to keep supporting. We're going to keep sharing this. We're going to take this podcast. We're going to blast it everywhere so people can hear your voice even more and make even more of a difference. Any parting words you'd like to share? Um, I guess that... You know, a lot of people are asking the question, you know, how do I help? And and I heard a very uh, brilliant young lady say something to the effect of, well, if you have to ask that question, you're not ready. And I kind of feel like that's where maybe a lot of people might be right now, that they 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 want to do something but they don't know what. And maybe even they aren't ready. But this post is a testimony to that old hymn, though. It only takes a spark to get the fire going. And I guess it would just be to encourage folks that, you know what? Just start. Just start. Start by listening. Start by caring. Start by seeking to understand. Start by going through that internal excruciating feeling of having to really weed through some thinking that needs to change. Um, Start somewhere. Start there. Start somewhere. You know, if you're not ready, there's one way to tell if you're ready or not. Just start and you're going to be surprised most of the cases that you're going to find out you were more ready than you ever imagined. So thank you, Noel, for taking this time, guys. We must talk.com. Yeah, we must talk.com. I've got this podcast. All of our shows will be listed there. We'll be spreading these all over the world. Uh, anywhere you can get podcasts from, you can catch this show. Again, thank our guest today, Ms. Noel Palmer. We're going to continue to keep on making a difference by talking. We must mm-hmm. talk. Everyone have a great one. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the We Must Talk podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find all of our podcasts located at wemusttalk.com. That's wemusttalk.com. Until then, we'll catch you on our next podcast as we go out and we seek all those things that make us say we must talk.